I needed to not skate by for once in my life, and they didn't let me. At the end of the day, if you know that you don't feel good about the job, you got to be able to leave that behind. They just kept asking me to come back, and I truly love Milwaukee and Southeast Wisconsin. It's always great to be at WTMJ. This is WTMJ Conversations. Welcome to WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. When I say that our guest has a fascinating family, you're not going to believe it. His name is Quentin Hetfield. And you're not from around here originally, are you, Quentin? No, I'm a transplanted hillbilly. From? Eastern Kentucky. Hatfield. Hatfield. Why does that name sound familiar? Well, my people have been known to be violent at times, and that's my family. Wait, wait. As in Hatfields and McCoys? That's correct. And we're here to talk about veterans, <laughs> but i got to ask you about that. So, so you grew up a Hatfield, and what did that mean in Eastern Kentucky? Well, it meant we won, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That's one way of looking at it. When I was growing up, Libby, that was far enough after those events of the late 1800s that we're pretty far separated from that. Though my grandfather grew up during that, and my father told us that we were never permitted to ask him about it. He would not speak of it. But my great-grandfather was a country squire and a minister, and it was at his home that they were having an election where the first killing in the feud took place. So you are directly connected with that family. I am directly connected with that family. So growing up as a Hatfield in eastern Kentucky, I'm sure that when you'd walk in and introduce yourself, people took notice. No, there were so many of us and so many McCoys, too. (laughs) Nobody paid any attention. But somehow you ended up going off to Vietnam. I did, yes. So I didn't get to take my Kentucky long rifle with me, however. I was going to say, you must have been a pretty good shot. Uncle Sam really (laughs) wanted you. We were all pretty good shots. I had six older brothers. So Did you always think of yourself at some point in your life of becoming a member of the military? I think it was probably in the back of my mind. I have six brothers, so I'm the youngest of seven boys in our family, and including me, five of us have served in the military. So somewhere along the way, yes, I thought I probably would end up in the military, particularly during that era. So you ended up in the Army? Yes, ma'am. Where'd you do your basic? I did my basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky. What was that like for you? It was a shock because I was a little older. I was a senior in college when I was drafted. I had been working full-time, putting myself through college and going to school part-time. And after four years, Uncle Sam said, you've had enough time, so time to serve. All right. So you got in. Did you go to Vietnam? I did. After basic training, I went to infantry training at Fort Polk, Louisiana. Then I did further training at Fort Lee, Virginia, and then I was shipped directly to Vietnam. What was your position when you got there? When I got there, I was an infantry person moving in country. A couple of months after I got there, I got an opportunity to take a typing test because there was a colonel looking for an aide, and it just so happened I could type pretty well. I ended up being an aide to the depot commander at Cameron, which is the second largest supply point in country. And you served for how many years? I served 13 months and seven days in Vietnam. Not that anybody's counting. Right. Yeah. So how did that change your life? Being in country, as you say, and being part of the army, even though it wasn't your career path originally. Well, to be honest with you, I was a poor hillbilly kid from eastern Kentucky. That's where I grew up. So my world was small. And then I went to college and my world got somewhat bigger. And then I was drafted in the military and shipped to the other side of the world. And it changed my perspective entirely. Just ex- first experiencing the war itself 
And then after I was drafted out to serve for this depot commander, seeing all the logistics it took to keep supplies and troops in places where they were needs to strategically defend certain points. And my world changed upside down. Violence and exposure to that was something I had never been exposed to. And I think that changes everybody who's been in a war zone, whether you were a combat troop or not. Soldiers, when they came back from Vietnam, weren't treated the way they are now. What was it like for you? We kind of were prepared because we did have access to some news when we were in Vietnam, the Vietnam radio, and there was television, if you were lucky enough to see a television while you were in Vietnam. It was shocking because the people you ran into, especially when we came off base at Fort Lewis, Washington and exited the military, all the protesters outside the gates somehow seemed to be projecting all the blame on those of us who prosecuted the war not on those who got us there in the first place. So it was a little shocking. It was humiliating, and frustrating would be one word. I would assume when you got out, you'd never wanted to be in the military again. You thought, this part of my life is over. I did not want to continue in the military. I had an opportunity. My colonel was trying to get me to re-enlist and maybe go to officer candidate school. No, thank you, sir. This is not the life for me. So I spent the first 12 months I was home, I think, as many veterans do, when you first exit the military, when you go into the military, of course, they put you through a regiment and basic training to tear you down as an individual, build you back as part of a unit. So you are part of a team. You have mission and you know that somebody's always there beside you and behind you, supporting you in that mission. And then you exit the military and you're not part of a team any longer. And I think many experience a period of time where you're not sure exactly who you are or how to be a civilian anymore. So you had to decompress. You have to decompress, yes. I spent about 12 months just wondering who am I and what am I going to do with my life now. And what did you do then? Well, I went to work and I met the woman I was going to marry. I considered going back to school, but I had kind of lived a regimented life for about two years in the military, so I decided not right now. And I got married and we started having a family. And then I realized unless I finish that degree, I'm probably not going to advance very far in my life. So we both went back to school. She to finish her nursing degree, me to finish my undergraduate degree, and also do my master's in business. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. The military's point of view is, well, thank you for your service. Have a nice life. Quentin Hatfield, the executive director of VetsNet, talks about a soldier in Germany who's preparing to return to Wisconsin. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back. I'm Libby Collins. We're talking with Quentin Hatfield from VetsNet. Let's find out a little bit about the shock of a military person re-entering civilian life. What brought you to Wisconsin? Oh, that's a story that I think many people who are grandparents are telling these days. I spent several years... 45 years or so in the private sector, the last position being in St. Louis. We had semi-retired to central Kentucky around Lexington. Our daughter started having children here, and she said she was never going to have children. And my wife wanted to be here more than she wanted to be in Kentucky and said, maybe we should buy a place in Wisconsin, too. I said, no, you know, let's go. Let's move to Wisconsin. We'll be close to the grandkids. And so we did. And here we are. So once you got here, you retired. You're looking for something to do. 
And that brought you to? A friend who talked to me about a new organization that was beginning, a veteran organization that was looking for leadership. And most of my roles in the private sector had been in leadership roles. And uh, so he introduced me to the people who were doing the recruiting. Uh, I gave them a resume and kind of the rest is history. All right. So you came to VetsNet. And let's talk exactly what VetsNet is. We are a collaborating organization that develops relationships inside and outside the veteran space to serve veterans and their families all over the state of Wisconsin. I think, Libby, what most people don't realize, certainly even veteran groups that I talk with, over half what you would call veteran population don't qualify for VA benefit for a number of reasons, mostly because of how Congress defines a veteran. And if they don't qualify there, then they're not eligible for a lot of other veteran services, which require you to meet that definition. So we've formed partnerships across the state of Wisconsin in other nonprofits that are not veteran related with city and county agencies who serve people, developing those relationships so that when needs are represented to us, we know where the resources are to help those veterans and families meet those needs quickly. Is it easier for veterans today than it was when you got out back in the 60s? Oh, wow. Certainly the welcome home is warmer, easier. I don't know if it's easier for any veteran today than it has been in the past because it's the shock of reentry reorganizing, regrounding yourself, determining what am I going to do with my life. I think all of us go through that, and so I don't think that's any easier, certainly for those who suffered the wounds of war, the physical wounds of war, and have disabilities related to that, have a tougher time, I think, than most of us did. But there is also the moral injury of war that people have to learn to adjust to and accommodate. There's that wondering why you survived when others didn't that you knew. There's that just uh, the atrocities of war that you had to watch and see, and that has a lasting long-term effect, I think, on every soldier. You made reference to the training you went through, which was sort of an indoctrination. Mm -hmm. Would you say that is a problem for a lot of veterans when they leave the service, that they have been indoctrinated to think a certain way and to respond a certain way, and when they get back out to civilian life, that's difficult for them? Well, it is difficult for us when we exit the military, and the military's point of view is, well, thank you for your service, have a nice life, and they haven't equipped you to come back to civilian life, to stand alone, no team, no mission, and no clear understanding of what you're going to do next. You gave me a perfect segue into the newest program we initiated about a year and a half ago in conjunction with the VA Mental Health Administration, a national organization that gives us the opportunity here in Wisconsin to team up exiting service members six to 12 months before they get out of the military with a volunteer sponsor here on the ground to help them build a homecoming plan so that as they come out of the military, they clearly understand there's a team of people on the ground here willing to help them come home, find housing, find a job, get ready to go to school if that's what they intend to do. And so you understand you can come out of the military and you haven't lost the sense of who you are. There are hundreds of people in Wisconsin ready to welcome you home. And how important is that? If you were to look back when you got out of the service and the men and women with whom you served, what kind of difference would that have made in your life? I think, Libby, my opinion is reflected in a lot of the volunteers we have who are helping these service members who are also veterans. We all desperately wish we had such a program when we came home. Let's talk about how it's helped. Some specifics of veterans that you've come in contact with. In that program or in our program we've been doing for... Well, let's start with that program. 
Right now, we're working with a young man who's currently in Germany. He's an officer, and he will be home to Wisconsin in September, I believe. So we started working with him a couple of months ago. We partnered him with a sponsor here on the ground, and that partner and he have begun to work together, talking with the partner recently. He's having a great time because he's also a veteran. He never had that experience, so it's fun for him to work with this young man to help him come home with his family. He does have a family in Germany with him, and they'll be going to Central Wisconsin. Johnson. We've already connected him with a couple of potential employers, and he's starting to have dialogue with them to see where he might want to go to work. It's just gratifying to be able to do that and see that happen with each of these young people. And with some of them not so young, they may be retiring out of the military. As they come home, they know they have a home to come home to. And one of the problems we have here in Wisconsin is we're losing about 40% of the people who enlist here in Wisconsin don't come back to Wisconsin when they exit the military. Why? Well, if you think about it, if I were serving in Fort Bliss, Texas, and I'd come out of the military in the middle of winter, I might think about not coming home to Wisconsin. But there are a lot of other reasons, too. They may have married someone else from another part of the country. They may have found a job already on the ground wherever they are before they come home and decide that's a good place to be. They may be looking for a place in one of those six states that don't have a state income tax. There's all kinds of enticements. But it's a brain drain for Wisconsin. We desperately need these people to come home. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. His central air went out and it's hot. And as Fred said to me, you know, I'm just sitting here waiting to die, but I don't want to die in an oven. Quentin Hatfield, the executive director of VetsNet, talks about a 94-year-old World War II veteran who didn't have any air conditioning. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Let's return to our conversation with the executive director of VetsNet, Quentin Hatfield, and find out how they discover whether or not a veteran is in crisis and what sort of help they need. So when they do get back to Wisconsin, and if by any chance they haven't been part of that program, and all of a sudden you find, you come in contact with, you hear about a veteran who's struggling, what is it that VetsNet does? The first thing that we try to do, and the VA brings veterans to us, and the Wisconsin Department of Veteran Affairs brings veterans to us, and other veteran organizations, and we, of course, refer to them. But the first thing that we do is try to understand everything that's going on. What's the current situation? What's missing in that equation that causing this veteran or veteran family to be in whatever distress that they're in. Most of the people that we're dealing with in our core program that we've been doing for seven years are either in crisis or they're on their way to crisis and need intervention to prevent it. Can you just broadly give us some idea of what sort of crises we're talking about? I'm going to tell you my favorite story, okay? In the summer of 2020, in the midst of the heat wave and the pandemic, I got a call from a veteran in New Berlin. Fred was 94 years old, a Navy veteran, World War II, a pensioner, a homeowner, and a widower. And his central air went out, and it's hot. And as Fred said to me, you know, I'm just sitting here waiting to die, but I don't want to die in an oven. So he's a great guy, one of the most hilariously funny people I've ever had the pleasure to meet. And that's something for which there just isn't any resource. But this is the whole miracle of collaboration is this. That's what we do is we collaborate. So I went to, and I said, Fred, I honestly don't know. If it were your furnace, I could have that replaced tomorrow. But it's Wisconsin, and for the three days of summer we get, you don't necessarily need air conditioning, but I get it. 
So I went to a meeting the following day of the Veterans Health Coalition, which is about 130 of us here in southeast Wisconsin who are all focused on veteran health issues, and not all of us are veteran organizations. And someone just mentioned to me, you look troubled about something, and so I just spilled it. But then a half hour, a lady who had left the room came in and said, I have a friend who's an HVAC contractor, so I called him. A couple of days later, I get a call. It says, Carrier says they'll donate a unit if we'll donate the labor. And so within seven days, Fred had air conditioning. And I got to go out and spend some time with him, delightful human being. Talked to him again last fall. He's still there. Air conditioner's still working. And he and his little fat dog are doing very well. You know, but that's interesting. You mentioned he was 94, so I'm assuming he was what? Was he a World War II vet? World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, we don't have many World War II veterans with us any longer. But even those who served after the war or into Korea or during the 50s when we were at peace, they don't feel that they can make a phone call and get help, even as veterans. They might go to the VA and get their medicines or see a doctor. But some of these other areas you're talking about, they just figure, well, we're out of the loop. Well, Libby, I think you have to start from the perspective that a veteran is someone who is trained in the military, and you're not supposed to ask for help. And so you got to figure it out on your own, uh, right? Because uh, you're a warrior, and when you don't have a team, then it's even more difficult. So, yes, it is a very hard thing for a veteran to ask for help, and. Unfortunately, many of them may not ask before it's really late in the game and they may be homeless or have other really critical issues that could have been avoided. You mentioned homelessness Mm -hmm. and so many of those individuals who are on the streets, they did serve. What is it that VetsNet has done or can do to help them? Well, first, let me say this. If a veteran comes to us and he is homeless or she is homeless, and we've had both, the first question I usually ask is, have you eaten today? And usually the answer to that is no. So then among the kinds of things that we might do as a direct service is, here's a restaurant car, go across the street to Cousins, get something to eat, and then let's work on this situation. But the first thing we're going to do is to ensure that we get them off the street as quickly as possible. If there are no shelter spaces available, and if If it's a family with husband, wife, and kids, that's a real problem because shelters may take a wife and children but won't take the husband. And shelter space is already critically short, not only here in southeast Wisconsin, but all over Wisconsin. And we do have some emergency funds. We do have some negotiated hotel deals. And so I will, we will ensure that they're not on the street tonight while we work with our partner agencies who specialize in housing to find a housing solution. But it's a little bit more than that, Libby, because there's something driving the homelessness, and maybe that's I don't have a job, so if I'm going to provide housing and not step into the next layer of need with the employment, then maybe in three or four months you're homeless again because you weren't able to pay the rent. So it's, a, it's taking a look holistically at what's driving this current crisis and seeing if you can work upstream and find solutions to all those factors so that when you provide a solution, it's something that can be stable long term. So do you have a network 
of help then to take care of all of these facets. We have the most amazing partners, not only here in southeast Wisconsin, but we belong to resource groups in Green Bay and La Crosse and Fox Valley and Wausau and all over the state of Wisconsin. Veterans come to us. They can come by calling in to us. They can come to us through our website at westvetsnet.org. And there's a get help button that you can define your situation, submit all of your supporting documents, or they can walk in our front door. So they come to us various ways. And no matter where they are in Wisconsin, we have partners on the ground there. So our job is to understand what those partners do, what qualifies for their services, and then make sure before we send a veteran to anybody else that they're fully qualified before they go. What happens so often is it's a frustrating process for veterans because There are so many agencies, over 500 nonprofits in Wisconsin, who serve veterans in one fashion or another, and that can be homeless shelter to equine therapy. But knowing who they are is not something a veteran's going to fully understand. And so they knock on the wrong agency door, get told no, try there, get told no there. So often when they come to us, they're very frustrated and thinking, it's not possible for me to get help. So we stop that process, triage that need, and determine who can serve it best. Still ahead on WTMJ Conversations. The governor can send you to a tornado zone or a disaster zone of one type or another. You're yanked away from your families for 30 days. And then you go back to your civilian life, go back to your civilian job. But you're not a veteran in terms of how the government defines a veteran. Quentin Hatfield, the executive director of VetsNet, explains why the government doesn't always take care of veterans. listening to WTMJ Conversations. And I'm Libby Collins. Our guest today is Quentin Hatfield. He's the executive director of VetsNet. How does VetsNet define a veteran? It's a little different than you might think. You said there's over 500 of these organizations all serving veterans right here in the state. Question I think a lot of people have is, wait a minute, they serve the military, our government, Mm -hmm. our country, Mm Why the heck isn't the government taking care of these things? Why is it left to nonprofit organizations to take up the reins of that? Well, first, let's go back to who is a veteran, okay? That's an important question because there are certain definitions that Congress applies to that in terms of you having to have so many consecutive days of active duty service. So let's say, and I have had this actual situation, let's say that I have a National Guard veteran who was in the National Guard 14, 15 years, who served every weekend. They did their guard duty. Once a year, they went for 30 days of training exercises, but they were never activated for that six months or longer that would qualify them for VA benefits, then they're not a veteran. And I've had those veterans tell me, I'm not really a veteran. Our view of that is if you wore that uniform and you took that oath for 10 days, you're a veteran. We're at the same risk as a combat soldier that got sent to Afghanistan because the president of the United States can order you there on an executive order. Likewise, the governor can send you to a tornado zone or a disaster zone of one type or another. You're yanked away from your families for 30 days, and then you go back to your civilian life, go back to your civilian job. But you're not a veteran in terms of how the government defines a veteran. 
And so you have over half the people who wore in the uniform don't qualify for veteran benefits. So who steps in then to meet those needs? And it is basically the veteran service organizations who are a nonprofit who are doing that. But I will make this point with you. Over 90% of the veterans that we serve are fully qualified. They just don't know where to start looking. So we serve as, I call my staff navigators, Libby, because that's what we do. We navigate this very complex network of services, both state and federal services and local services to help them find assistance. All right. Give us some examples of people that have come to you. And first of all, they didn't realize they qualified for anything. And secondly, they just, for whatever reason, found Vets Net and said, okay, here's my situation. We have a single mom out in north central Wisconsin. She has two boys, 15 and 7, and her power was being cut off because she had been in a rehab following a surgery for two months, not able to work has limited disability-related income from her military service. So owns her own home, trying to stay above water and hit the wall, so to speak. I asked my navigator, why didn't she come to us sooner? We could have intervened in this sooner. But I'll go back to, it's hard for a veteran to ask. We worked with the utility company, not We Energies, out in north central Wisconsin. Talked with them about how can we avoid this shutoff. And there's a minimum payment that was required in order to do that. And by the way, there's not time for a check to get in the mail. So we do have access to some Wisconsin Department of Veteran Affairs grant money that helps us respond to veteran needs. We did have enough on hand to avert that power shutoff. But that's just one instance. The navigator's following up with the veteran to say, what other needs have been unmet through this period of convalescence and recovery. So we're trying to determine what other things we can step into so that she and her two boys are stable. Have you done any sort of research as to how many veterans in the state are kind of in that limbo where they need help, they need services, but they don't know where to start? I wouldn't know how to survey that, but let me give you a picture, okay? And we have a really really changing veteran landscape in Wisconsin, and not only in Wisconsin, we have that nationally. About five years ago, we would have had somewhere around 352 or 53,000 veterans in Wisconsin. That number today is closer to 325,000, and you pointed out the reason a few minutes ago. Uh, We are losing World War II, almost all gone. Uh, Korean War and my generation, Vietnam War veterans, are dying at a very rapid rate. And we're not, with an all-volunteer military, we're not creating veterans at the rate at which we're losing them. So it's changing the veteran landscape. It also changes, I believe, on how we need to look at the veteran population, how we need to serve them, how we need to find them. This post-9-11 veteran doesn't communicate the way you or I might, certainly not somebody my age, maybe somebody yours, but um, they're not going to job fairs and picking up 40 brochures and looking at those. They're communicating Uh, digitally, if you will. I mean, they're online talking to others. They belong to big online groups. The Iraq Afghanistan War Veterans Group is a huge organization nationally, and they're looking for information in ways that are different, which said to me several years ago, we need to determine how we go to them, not wait for them to come to us, because that's been the traditional model. We build an office, we have a space somewhere, and the veteran comes to us. And, you know, my generation veteran gets 
that's that and they do come to you. This generation, not necessarily. It's been happening more and more as we have helped more post 9-11 veterans, younger veterans, who by word of mouth tell their friends, if you want to find help, this is the place to find it. But the landscape's changing quickly and the ways we reach them and serve them has to change quickly too. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. Dad wanted to be buried in his dress blues. And over the years of moving, they had lost his Marine Corps dress blues. I get this call saying, I know you don't really do this, but what do you think can be done? Quentin Hatfield, the executive director of VetsNet, talks about a Marine whose dying wish was to be buried in his dress blues. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back to our conversation with Quentin Hatfield, the executive director of VetsNet. I'm your host, Libby Collins. I know we have a lot of help for veterans who are disabled, Mm -hmm. but what about the veterans who become ill from other things, not because of their service? They don't have the same access to help as someone who is getting veteran benefits because they were injured while they were in the service. What can be done for them? You know, it's amazing, Libby, how many people, and and I'm not going to name them because I don't want to do commercials for private organizations, but there are some who have a veteran focus in the the health industry who have a focus because they want to carve a niche to serve veterans in addition to serving the general population. And they have services, and we can connect them with health benefits. And there's, as of course, depending on the income level, the state also has health programs that we can get them into. But I dare say we can find services for a veteran, whether they're a service-connected disability veteran or not. I know you have a rather poignant story about a Marine. Ah. This is another one of my favorite stories. Yeah. This story really only talks about what collaboration looks like. Why does that work? Because... I find, and I think you will find, uh, many will say, in almost any nonprofit community, we can be a little provincial. We don't collaborate enough. Maybe it's because we're concerned about you'll get over in my fundraising space, whatever that reasons are. But I find I can't possibly have all the skills necessary to serve all the needs that face us. So collaboration is a lot of fun. I like knowing people all over this state. I like knowing what they do. And I like making them do more of it because these are veterans we bring to them that couldn't find them on their own. So I got a call in late January from the VA and their community outreach office there. And it was a co-worker of this person who called me who had a Vietnam-era Marine sergeant veteran. And Dad was in hospice. And Dad wanted to be buried in his dress blues. And over the years of moving, they had lost his Marine Corps dress blues. And so I get this call saying, you know, Q, I know you don't really do this, but what do you think can be done? And I'm like, oh, my I don't know. I have to make some calls. Let me make some calls. I'll see if anything can be done. And he's in hospice, so time is of the essence. So we've collaborated with the Leatherneck Motorcycle Club of America, the Badger Chapter. These are motorcycle riders. They're all former Marines, and once a Marine, always a Marine. And so I called my friend Trey with the Leatherneck Motorcycle Club and said, Trey, here's a situation. I'm not sure what to do. What do you think? And he said, well, what rank was he? And how many, what were his ribbons and medals? And all of these questions. What size uniform? And I said, Trey, 
I need to connect you with the family so you can have that conversation because I don't know those things. So we did connect them with the family, and that was on Thursday. And Libby, the following Monday, uh, the Leatherneck Motorcycle Club Badger Chapter delivered a full dress blue uniform, shoes to hat, including all of his service medals and ribbon. He's a Purple Heart winner, including his rank insignia, his hash marks for foreign service. was delivered to the family on Monday evening, and uh, that warrior passed away and was buried in his dress clothes. Those are the things that, because you connect, you can figure out somebody who can make something like that happen. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. It quite often is a family member who makes that call. So if you're a family member or if you're a veteran or if you're just a friend of a veteran, make that call. Quentin Hatfield, the executive director of VetsNet, talks about where to begin if you want to assist a veteran in need. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm Libby Collins. Today's conversation is with Quentin Hatfield. He's the executive director of VetsNet. What about people? Some of the veterans or their wives or their kids saying, gee, I didn't know these services existed. Where do they begin? Call us, 414-257-3624. Go to our website, Wisconsin Veterans Network. Connect with us. We can tell you where to begin. I think if you connected with the VFW, American Legion, the Center for Veterans Issues, any of these veteran organizations in the state, they can tell you where to begin. It's just taking that first step to ask. And it quite often is a family member, to be honest, who makes that call because the veteran won't or just can't take that step. And so if you're a family member or if you're a veteran or if you're just a friend of a veteran, make that call. Our focus is to serve every veteran in Wisconsin or a veteran family who has needs. And so we've made work of networking across the state. And last year alone, we served 410 veterans in 32 counties in Wisconsin. You say, well, there's 74 counties. I know, but I'm trying to get to them all. And there are needs in all those counties. Last year was particularly tough, not only for veterans, but for everyone, particularly if you were low income or lower middle income, because the cost of everything went through the roof, gasoline and rent and food and utilities, and people were squeezed making decisions about whether to feed their children or pay the rent. And so we were able, through the Veterans Health Coalition, to track some money from the Bob Woodruff Foundation last year to bring it in from out of state for critical emergency needs. And the VHC, the Veterans Health Coalition, asked us to administer that since we're networked statewide. And we pushed those funds out state last year. Many of the rural counties were running out of veteran service money mid-year. La Crosse County ran out of money in June of last year. But we were able to step into situations in La Crosse and other counties across the state where they did not have the funds to meet the need. Is there anything you can't do for a veteran? Wow, that's a good question. There is not anything we won't try to do. Let me say it that way. Quentin Hatfield with VetsNets. Can't thank you enough for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. We've been talking with Quentin Hatfield He is the executive director of the Wisconsin Veterans Network. We learned a little bit about Quentin, how he is related to, yes, those Hatfields, as in Hatfields and McCoys. But more importantly, we've learned about the work that the VetsNet is doing to help veterans everywhere in Wisconsin. Now, if you didn't get that phone number, you can reach out to VetsNet. 
by going to Wisconsin Veterans West, by going to Wisconsin Veterans Network, or by calling 414-257-3624. Now, if you joined us late and you want to hear the entire conversation with Quentin, go to WTMJ.com and share today's show with your friends and family and every veteran you know. You'll also find a partial transcript courtesy of eCourt Reporters for WTMJ Conversations. I'm Libby Collins.